0: Hello, baseball fans. Matthew here with another edition of the British Baseball Podcast. And this week, I'm delighted to have alongside me Alex Malahoudis, who some have described as being one of the greatest outfielders who ever played a game in Britain. Um, alongside me, I have a co-host in the form of Willington, uh, the GB National Team Catching and Pitching Coordinator. Uh, and what a lot of people don't know is that Will and Alex go way back, and we're talking like school days at Tombridge, uh, Bobcats Baseball which is a really nice surprise because Alex had no idea that Will's was coming onto the show uh, to do co-hosting. And uh, I did what all good hosts would do, and just let them talk, shop, and uh, just sat back and listened and enjoyed one of the best conversations I think I've heard uh, about baseball. And me and Will talked about some of the questions we had beforehand and they worked into some of the conversation, but I think what you'll find is a really fascinating uh, chat and insight into the career of one of uh, the Hall of Famers. Yeah, so... I hope you really enjoy this episode. I'm really proud of it. And <laughs> I, had, I had not a lot of input into it. So you'll be glad to hear that my voice doesn't feature much in this episode, but I think you'll really enjoy this one. And um, before we go any further, I'd just like to invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the show if you can. And if you can leave a little review, that'd be great. I'll read some of the best ones out or just any of them, if, if there are any. Um, and also a big thanks go out to Stephen Hope this week and also Paul Vernon for supporting the show over at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Ripped Baseball Pod and um, so that goes towards the zoom packages and some of the other bits and pieces that i've got going on and that really helps throughout this month so thank you gentlemen really appreciate it and also one last one before we uh, get into the conversation uh, if you want to come on the, at the show as a guest or even as a co-host or you think that there's somebody out there with a really interesting story to tell about their journey into baseball or within baseball then please let me know and i'll see what i can do to try and get them on and uh, use dual channels at heart britishbaseballpodcast at gmail.com or you can hit me up on social medias at Brit baseball Pod. and without further delay here we go you're listening to the british baseball podcast Uh, that's what happens when you give a guy a microphone with no journalistic experience and no idea how to use a computer for editing or anything like that. So yeah, my music production, as I said before, if only I could translate that over to this, I'd, I'd be an happy man, but it's, it's it's not as not as easy. Where did you hear about my music anyway? Was it on one of my old... Oh,
1: it's on your... Uh, I think it's on your Facebook profile. Oh, is it? It said that you were a DJ and a, and a producer formerly. Yeah, so I was yeah. Like about that played around with ableton a bit and i'm, uh, you know, I'm rubbish I'm, I'm completely rubbish but i do i have an interest in in uh, in electronic music so
0: what did you make
1: uh, it was trying to i bought the car alarms mostly um <laughs> it was uh it was try, trying to make um sort of progressively sort of techno stuff but it was yeah it, it's pretty uh it, i always got to that point where it needed someone with mastering skills and uh yeah, and that was it really. So I got a bunch of stuff that's just sort of sitting there, sounding crap or sounding rubbish.
0: But um, yeah. So you basically I, I do it for
1: fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd t- probably yeah. Yeah, I not using that money doing either.
0: No, but my, my MySpace page is still there. Oh, is it? Still, yeah, yeah. Um, with all my old music, and I think I spent like two and a half grand on a course. I, I did some ridiculous, like I took out some like seven thousand pounds. Uh, in 2006 to do this music production course in manchester like one of the best music schools um shout out to school of sound recording manchester um and i think it was two and a half grand for the course and i was like well i've got all this money left over i need a computer so i bought the best thing that i could buy literally like kitted out an entire studio in, in a bedroom and i was useless i had all the gear and <laughs> no idea i was literally the definition uh... And I was just like, oh man. So like I bought bought some more stuff from a DJ and uh bought like a Alan Heath zone 92 mixer, which was like there's oh. some of the like Sankeys in Manchester didn't even have this mixer at the time. And I had like other DJs asking me to borrow my, my equipment, and I was just using it in my bedroom. It was absurd. I just had all this amazing. I wasted it.
1: I've got the Zone um, in the garage. It's the one that Richie Horton helped to build. Uh, it's not the 92. I forgot which model it is. But yeah, I, I had, took out, a, I took out a money on my mortgage to buy it. <laughs> not a good yeah. decision. No,
0: no. Amazing sound, though. The neighbours oh, yeah. must have yeah. hated it. Yeah. But I ended up selling it. So I sold all my equipment off. Some kid in Russia bought the mixer for like a couple of quid less than I paid for it, secondhand, oh. And uh, I've no idea where my turntables went i moved house that many times. I think either someone's just walked off from out of the back of my car or I just don't know where i left him. And someone yeah. sat there going, I wish Jeez. wish he'd come and pick these bloody turntables or have been sat in my house for 15 years. Yeah, well, 10, 12, 10. Well, Will
1: and I, turn I turn um in our career we've we've encountered plenty of people that have uh, all the gear and no idea, I'm sure. <laughs> Including <Yeah>. us <laughs> Myself
2: included. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh
1: yeah. Just- oh my
2: goodness, yeah. I mean, I, I tell you, what, i just close this one off on, on, on music, but Alex was actually my introduction into electronic music. So, you know, being a kid that was into heavy metal and wearing bike chains and whatnot. Um, yeah, man. Electronic music wasn't always my thing, but, you know, Alex introduced that, me to I'll That's my first
1: story, Will. That's yeah. my the bike chain. <laughs> Will got, we were going on a baseball trip. I forgot where we were going, and they took Will's bike chain off him going through security at the airport. I mean Alex. Yeah, it was this long, right? I mean, what are you what are you going to do with a what are you going to do with a bike chain? I mean, you can't do with a belt, you know. But they took it off, and they I guess it looked intimidating, and uh, yeah, excellent. got it back. I, but, uh, but you...
2: landed, I had to go to security, and they had it. In, I think they put it in Lost and Lost and Found or something like that. It's by uh, excellent. Jack. Got that it. By, uh, No, that that was awesome. But yeah, no, that that's fantastic. I tell you what, I I'm always intrigued Alex by how you got into baseball I think it's just a nice story especially with where baseball's at and and how people find it in the journeys that they get into the game what I mean it's a shame you became a Giants fan admittedly as much as I'm a Bay Area guy green and gold for me but uh how did you you can tell Matt and, and everyone who's on like what was your entry point like how did you become a Giants fan Alex, Fall in love with baseball um well, I I didn't really
1: have a sport. None of, none of my family really played sports, um, but I, I loved sort of as a ten year old. I really loved American culture, not nine year old, I should say. Um, and my mother went to see my uncle who lived in New York and came back with a with a baseball bat and a t shirt and a hat. And uh, so I was like, sweet, I'm gonna I want to play baseball. You know, I'll see if there's a team. And there was a team in Tunbridge. It had just started. It was run by a lady called Margaret Borley, who her sons had, I think one of her sons had spent some time in Texas uh, in grad school and had come back with a bug for baseball started start team. And she had decided she wanted to start a youth team. So um, I was the fourth member of the team in 1989, so we didn't have games. Um, I practiced with them and would go and watch the seniors play. But, um, yeah, I was just lucky enough that, this amazing person, Margaret Borley happened to live in my town and happened to have decided to start a baseball team because, uh, she was incredible. You know, she just had lots of enthusiasm. She subscribed to the belief that everybody should get a chance. You know, there's a, there's a time and a place for competitiveness. Um, but when you're nine, 10 years old, she just wanted to give people a chance, you know, and, uh, she started this youth team. Within a year, my all my mates from school were playing. We had, we won, uh, I think we went 6-0 and on the season, six games, not a lot, but we were, That um, we had ended up having two youth teams by the end of 1990. Um, the second youth team, which was the eldest team, so their 13 to 15s was comprised of uh, quite a few people who went to Hayesbrook. Now they would, they would be, uh, Walking home across the playing fields and seeing us practice, and a couple of them joined in. Notably, the Carter brothers, who uh, went on to be well, Nick's a Hall of Famer. Um, both his brothers, John and Ben, both pretty handy ball players. And um, so, yeah, by the end of the second year, they won a won a title in our age group. And uh, yeah, we had a pretty pretty dominant stretch, I think, for a good few years of uh, youth baseball. So, yeah, Mrs. B, she was. She's pretty special, you know. I um I I love I remember when I was in my early 20s, I was in a pub in Tunbridge, and this scary bloke walked in, like skip proper, just looked like he came straight out of prison. And the guy I was with goes, That is the toughest bloke in Tunbridge. <laughs> I can't remember the guy's name, but not the kind of guy you want to approach. And probably half an hour later, the guy sees me, hey.
2: It was Will Linton, is that
1: right? <laughs> it, it was not. It was Barry Linton. Okay. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> this guy clocked me, and he comes steaming over towards me. Like, I'm thinking, what is it? This guy comes. He's, he's, he's got me to sites, and he comes over to talk to me. He says, you're, you're Alex, aren't you? I said, yes. Did you play for Tumbridge Bobcats? I said, I, I did. She goes, you know, Mrs. Borley, she got me into baseball for two years. She was the only person who ever cared about me. <laughs> i was like tattoo <laughs> tattoos up his neck neck and everything and I, I brought a tear to my eye just the way that he remembered that someone gave him a chance to actually do to play a sport um didn't judge him um by his situation um and gave him a chance you know so uh that's the kind
2: of person she was so yeah really really special person really special lady I mean, she really is. <clears throat> there are so many amazing stories about about Margaret. And we could probably, and I think Matt and I are hoping at some point to get Margaret on and and, and have a uh, a proper catch-up and 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 talk about her time at Tunbridge and that journey. But I guess, yeah, you know, the, the thing that I find amazing with Tunbridge is the juxtaposition because she created this amazing community where you know the, the the chap you just spoke of, the hardest man in Tunbridge, he wasn't the only person that was hard up on life that found baseball as a vehicle to to change something in them and at the same token it had become a hotbed for talent you know if you look at um the in that short amount of time the number of gb players that came out of out of tunbridge and in comparison to other hotbeds where you've got a lot of americans or american parents feeding into it so there's kind of quite a lot of good players or good good <clears throat> traditional good coaches to feed off of tunbridge kind of almost had a diy uh, sense about it do you, do you have any thoughts about what it was about Margaret and the culture that she built at Tunbridge that helped the, both the things? You know, create as many talented young ball players, but still also make it a place that was safe and fun for for anyone to come off the street and play. I, I think she, uh, the
1: enthusiasm that she she had uh, was infectious, and she was always willing to take you along to watch. Um, Sort of uh, senior baseball around the country. In fact, I, you know, in in 1990, my favorite players in the world were not Will Clark, although he was up there. It was Oscar Marcelino. It was Alan Bloomfield, You know, those are my those are my guys that I I would she would take us up to London and would watch him play in a in a football state Sutton football stadium. You know, would watch Oscar in two home runs over the over the right field bleachers, and um, you know, she was always willing to take you along if you had that that interest it wasn't the baseball coaching you know um because she was learning the game just like we were um but she had the ability like people would treat her like a uh they treat her like a babysitting service they bring their kids in the, into into tunbridge at 10 and they'd want to go shopping in the market so they'd drop them off at baseball come back at 12 and pick them up again 60 kids she's she had 60 kids sometimes down there all yeah. engaged all running about doing stuff um no one bored i don't know how she did it to be honest um and i was i was young at the time so you know maybe the subtleties of you know what she did was lost on me but i just remember never you know
2: never being bored always loving it so it's interesting that point that you just made about your heroes being guys like oscar marcelino and alan bloomfield because yeah i think about You know, one of the national team coaches right now, Jonathan Crammon, who's head coach of the U15s, and he obviously has had a very successful career with the London Mets and has played for the senior national team. He often talks about his uh, era of childhood when BSUK were putting out a magazine called Double Play. And in it, like every week, were articles about you and Nick Carter and Gavin Marshall. And Jonathan latched on to those personalities at that time more than, say, you know, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. And I think it's it's really interesting how there is this connection with if we can uh, connect the stars of British baseball and the stars of GB baseball to the kids in it, it there is something magical about it. It's it's not just um, you know, hocus pocus. There's there's something to do with talent development that I think probably bears more attention and, and more effort than than perhaps has been given.
1: Yeah, having having heroes that you you kind of have a, a chance to emulate, I think is a is an important thing, you know, whereas Sometimes you know watching guys on TV playing baseball in the states in you know, packed stadiums, uh, sometimes doesn't feel achievable. Um, but you know, yeah, I mean, it's um, having publications as well. I think that was a, that was a huge thing. I, it, when I was, I'm trying to remember the name of the magazine that I used that I've still got in the loft of my mum's house uh, where all my junk is. Sorry, mum, but I've got the old Baseball UK magazines with um, Oscar on the cover and. Lenario you know Lenario and um, Simmons and Enfield Spartans, and you know those were the those were the teams that I wanted to emulate. Uh, the players I wanted to emulate and the teams I wanted to
2: beat when I when I got older. So yeah, it was. Uh, I'm, I'm with you, man. I mean, I, I genuinely I think probably the, one of the most important parts of my development and, and my continuing the game, other than obviously meeting Margaret and joining the Bobcats, was going to Tunbridge practice and meeting you and Nick. And, you know, Nick obviously had long hair at the time and he had an A's hat. So therefore that automatically made me think he was cool. Um, and then you just happened to be there. So I was like, all right, well, I guess this, this guy will yeah. do too. I'll, I'll, I'll capture them for a little bit. Um, but the, the, and openness that you guys showed to me as a, I would have been nine or 10 at the time. And obviously that continued from when I first started going to GB practice, when I joined the Bucks, like that connection and that, willingness and openness to spend time with someone who um you know wasn't yet at that level but you guys created that environment where i was able to enjoy it and it was fun and it was it was amazing and and i think you're spot on
1: i think that came from mrs Borley, but i think there's there's just no i never understood the, the point in trying to bring bring others down and you see it so often is is uh maybe insecurity causes people to not want to help people but i mean uh, you know making baseball better in, in britain um is only going to benefit everybody so yeah, yeah that's, Tom, that's, go on
2: sorry, you, I, no you go what, what are you going to say I, I was just
1: going to say that was uh i nicely mentioned john's name because uh, we, we played together in um 2008
2: so yeah he was a good guy and uh yeah well i'll tell you what i have you ha- i have to add john to the mix as well because when i was 14 and I was just trying to break into the national team like uh, Vince Garcia and Paul Vernon both said to me that I needed to play adult baseball And I know you and Nick had, had advocated that as well and I was 14 and I mean I could barely catch a fastball I mean some some people might say I could barely catch a fastball now at 36 but um, I remember John advocated for me to give me playing opportunities and to catch pitches that perhaps I wasn't quite ready to catch um, and I guess when I look at you know, each of my development stages. I caught Gavin in two thousand two in a in in the, that final. I wasn't ready to catch a ninety mile an hour fastball, but Savage gave me that opportunity. When I got to uh, Menlo, I wasn't ready to catch college pitching, but Bowman gave me that opportunity. There's kind of all these different examples, and, and John Carter, you know, and all the work he continues to do in Tunbridge is is just fantastic. Um, yeah, and I, I add him to the list as well.
1: I think I think playing um adult baseball is uh, is. Um is a great advantage that we get in, in in countries where baseball is not as developed like uh it's not likely to happen in a in the states for a 15 year old to play adult baseball but it happens here in australia and then i you know i encourage if i'm talking to 15 year olds i encourage them even if they're not playing in the state league or the top leagues just to play playing against adults it does it gives you a different perspective and you know i i remember being I was catching a game for Brighton in, um, you know, in, in Britain in oh, ninety. I, I was sixteen at the time, and I got lit up at home plate by a hundred and ten kilo, massive bloke from Hemel. Um, you know that it's that kind of stuff doesn't happen in youth baseball, but it does toughen you up a bit. And um, I think yeah, it's it's good to challenge yourself. Um, so I, I'd always say, you know, if you're if you have the opportunities, um, do both. You know, play your youth baseball, but Play up
2: if you can, you know. I mean, you played—you were a catcher, shortstop, and center fielder in, in my in my time of knowing you. Which of those three did you enjoy most? Catching. By yeah, catching's the best.
1: Catching <laughs> is just
2: there's no
1: there's no position in that I've that I can imagine in sports that's as much fun. I mean, I mean, I've never played, never been a quarterback on an American football team, but. But uh, catching is just the best. Um, I love it. I love um, being, yeah, you know, you're in the game constantly. You you, um, you know, there's a lot of challenges. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would still do it this year. I'm, I'm playing um, baseball over here. It's in a league many, many rungs down the ladder. Um, but... Up until last year, I was catching and playing shortstop. Uh, this year, I'm just playing shortstop. <laughs> it's it's finally <laughs> my back has finally said, you yeah, know, I had enough. And and we've got a really good catcher on our team, so it's and I miss it. I really do miss it, and I wonder if I'm ever going to do it again. But uh, yeah, it's it's the best.
2: Yeah, it's fun. That's awesome. Um, obviously, Craig was one of the more recent guests on the podcast, and I well, what how. How did you and Nick meet Craig? How did that transition from Tunbridge to Brighton come about? Because I feel like that's pretty, yeah. uh, it, it, it's a pretty uh, special moment in your development and even, I guess even the rise of the Brighton Buccaneers. In some, some yeah, well, so in the end of
1: 94, I, I've i been playing for, so I was 15, I've been playing for the, Bright, the Tunbridge Seniors for a couple of years um, and I wanted to play in the top league in Britain and i had met i'd met that that year 94 i'd been to holland with the great britain uh, junior team i've met uh, ben gogan and so i was trying to weigh up where did i want to play did i want to play and it was enfield london warriors or brighton uh were the sort of choices and gogan was saying you know come down to brighton and so he arranged a meeting with um uh with craig savage now i i'd spoken to nick about this we both agreed we were sort of we both agreed we needed to be playing in in a sort of high league so we i still remember the walk down to mrs bawley's house to sort of break the news to her um pretty you know that we weren't going to be Tumish bobcats after that and that was it was a pretty hard conversation to have but you know i don't know what i was worried about because mrs bawley she only wants she only wanted what was best for you you know and uh she was fully supportive and uh I can see where we're coming from and, and yeah just yet another example of the amazing person that she is so um we anyway ben had arranged a meeting with craig down in lewis in a pub went down there met craig he shook my hand nearly broke it off you know big firm handshake and he was telling me about his plans and the guy was just seriously organized and you could just see that he wanted to put this team on the map um and he was going to get it done but he did say something to me that made me laugh, and I, I generally uh, would be quite self deprecating um, if I had to evaluate me. But this one time, he told me that he might start me off in the Division Three South, see how I get on. And I was—I remember thinking in my head, "No, no, <laughs> I'm not doing that." And I was just—I was determined. I was going to make the team, make the, the first team, and um, you know, and I did. And that was uh, that was my first year at Brighton, myself and Nick, uh, Nick. Nick pitched I caught him uh, we had a good team we were uh, probably third or fourth uh, that year and it wasn't until probably a couple of years later we moved to Pavilion Field and uh, we started getting really good so when we That's- got Will we Linton
2: down there <laughs> until you got me here um, <laughs> it's that is an interesting character trait that I don't I don't often think of with Craig but now that you bring it up he would always didn't matter who it was he would never necessarily lay out the red carpet. Be like, oh, welcome. You're now our new hero. It was always, all right, well, you know, this is a pretty good program. We know what we're doing. We have some good players. You need to prove yourself. And it didn't matter who it was. And I remember, you know, even in 2001, when we had the Rollins National League and we benefited from some tremendous talent with Rene Halicius and Oscar Lopez and even Clayton Fredericks. Like They still got that kind of, well, you know, Let's see how you do. And then obviously, I mean, they were good enough players that they broke in. I think mean, the only time it was different was when Gavin got off the plane and pitched a final complete game. But it, I mean, that's Gavin and he's ninety. So if you're ever yeah. do it once in your career, that's the time you do it. But I mean, yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Great. Absolutely. Yeah, he didn't blow sun, sunshine up your butt. <laughs> but, um, and, you know, he really, he had a plan and he executed his plan. And he, he was the, you know, I, there's a lot of people working hard in British baseball um, to promote the game, but in my time being part of British baseball, I've never seen anyone who was able to promote it quite like Craig um, to get local uh, interest in Brighton. You know, uh, to get celebrities wanting to help us, to get money from. People. I mean, we've got a star on the, the Walk of Fame in Brighton, and we were we were known there. You go into a if you went into Subway to get a sandwich in Brighton, they had our they had our schedules on little cards on the on the bar you could order a sandwich and take one of our schedules and it was it was just so organized and um yeah he really really did a great job uh, i mean that team was uh was amazing to play and i had a great bunch of guys too i mean even before i got there some of the some of the personalities on the team it was just fun um and it was good baseball
2: Indeed. um how did you what, what was your journey to the States? Because I, I would hope that we've probably got quite a few listeners on who are uh, kind of in, in the U18, U15 GB setup and hopefully have ambitions of, of playing in the States. And, um, you know, what was your journey? Because you did high school first, is that right?
1: Yeah, I did. I, I started saving money from age 10. I, I didn't really didn't really have a social life my life was baseball um yeah not much different to now really but uh <laughs> kids instead of baseball but um yeah i basically um I, I had wanted to do this it was a dream of mine but i wasn't sure how i was going to do it um so my what ended up happening I, i'll try and so in 1995 there was an advert in uh, baseball uk about a camp in california um, I thought that sounds interesting you know we spent two weeks in the sun playing ball so we wrote in myself uh, my brother and my mum came along but they they weren't part of the camp we they just wanted to come to the states you know so um, we uh, went along we were, it was right during the player strike at end of 94 early 95 so a bunch of what they had planned had changed but they had a bunch of games uh, scheduled against local high school teams local college teams Two of the teams we played, well, we played Archbishop Mitty High School, uh, De Anza, which is a junior college in San Jose, and we played Menlo College, which is a Division three college, up the bay a little bit. So I went to MIDI, and you've never seen – I mean, this, this was like my dream of an American high school, where I wanted to go. It was, it was a private Catholic school, um, beautiful baseball field, absolutely gorgeous, um, just incredible facilities. I mean, to be honest, that's all I really cared about in a school anyway was the baseball field. <laughs> Um, and I had a chat with the coach Um, the guy that I was playing for had arranged a talk with the coach at the end of that and he I told him this is what I wanted to do he said okay let's go talk to admissions then so we had a tour of the school we had a chat with admissions he says come back on Friday so I went back there on Friday and uh, by the end of that day I'd enrolled in the school (laughs) it turned out that because I was out of state the money I had um, it would have cost me more to go to a public school than it would private so that was it i'd enrolled at archbishop midi high school um just so happens that i didn't know this at the time that it was one of the in, in one of the premier the premier uh baseball well, athletic leagues in all of america there's there were eight teams in, in the west catholic athletic league um, giving an example pat burrell and um, tom brady graduated the year before i got there from uh well tom brady went to Sarah, the same school that produced barry bonds uh, Burrell went to Bellarmine, um, countless major leaguers, basketball players, Aaron Gordon from, the uh, Orlando magic went to my, went to the school I went to, I mean, there's a, just a host of professional athletes played in this league. I mean, it was just, for me, it was just dumb luck. You know, I was lucky that we played that game. I was lucky that I was able to attend that school because it was, um, seriously good baseball. And when I first went over there, I was overmatched. Um, i didn't realize quite how overmatched i was until american football season finished and all of the really really good athletes came out for baseball and day one of that i'm watching zeff zinsman launching balls over the over the gym and thinking this is this is like crazy i mean i'm not ready for this at all so luckily um at artificial I. Played for uh, uh, Bill Hutton, who was the head coach there uh, for many years. Just a great, one of the great high school baseball coaches in the history of California. Uh, the Tide, just a great man and a great baseball coach. And he, he spoke to me before the season and said, look, I can play you in JV, Junior Varsity, and you'll get a lot of at-bats, um, but I'll only do that if you're coming back next year. And so I'm thinking, do I have enough money to come back next year? Because if you can't come back next year, I'm going to put you on a varsity. You're not going to play a huge amount, but you'll have the experience of being part of a, a good team. Now, junior, I was a junior in high school, so there's four years in American high school. I was in the third year. The juniors don't play JV. Um, so the main, the the area where I really struggled was game was just game experience as being actually playing baseball games, and I think that's the same, uh, the same challenge that everybody has playing baseball in a, in a country like Britain is you just don't have enough repetitions in games. I mean, you can practice all you like, hitting hitting balls off a tee into a net. Um, you can practice taking ground balls if you've got someone to hit them to you. But the actual experience of playing a game, um, that's that's hard to emulate without you doing it. So, and you need good weather for that. You need lots of people, lots of people in small areas so you can have lots of local games. It's a tough one. So I had to get over that hurdle. Um, so my first year out there, I played JV. I uh, went back my second year, played varsity. It turned out to be a great decision. I started at third base. Uh, we won our section championship, um, which is a, a memory I'll never forget. And um, yeah, I, I was all the better for it, for getting those at-bats my junior year. So it was, it was tough to take because I, I, you know, it were it only two or three juniors of JV that year, um, you know, and, um, but it's what I needed. I needed to get the games and we were competitive. So they weren't going to, weren't just gonna put me in for the
2: sake of it, so. Sure. And I mean, Menlo was just up the road, so was that a fairly easy decision for you to stay in that local area and, and move onto Menlo, or were there other other colleges that you were thinking about?
1: I was thinking of, uh, there was a school down in San Diego I was thinking of, but uh, Menlo made sense for me. I just, I knew the area. Um, I had a girlfriend at the time in the area too, and that that made some of the decision for me as well. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, so um, just up the road to Menlo, which has now become a sort of a, a, a place for British baseball, you know, um, yourself and uh, Miles is playing there at the moment. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's nice to see. It's nice to see that that programme also has developed over
2: the years. They've got, so, yeah. I mean, they really have come on leaps and bounds. It's incredible. I mean, they're producing... Yeah, professional baseball players and, and regularly competing for the championships now it's just
1: yeah they are and another another reason why I, I sort of like staying in that area now um i didn't mention this earlier when, when we were at tunbridge uh we were part of the major league baseball envoy program and they uh, sent they'd send uh, american coaches high school coaches college coaches to parts of europe and they'd spend six weeks somewhere right so um my uh, they sent us a, a gentleman called bob brandy who was a high school baseball coach from san mateo close to menlo and he rocks up this is 1993 so this is two years before i ever went to the states so he rocks up in tunbridge he's staying with us for two weeks in my bunk bed because i have the smallest room in in the house you know it's just me my brother and my mom in our house and i had like a closet, and because it was so small my bed was like above my desk it was one of those like kids so there's like a 50 45 year old man who's staying for two weeks in like a bunk bed and um he rocks up to watch a game he says to us, i want to come see the guys play i don't want to coach on day one i just want to watch a game and i'll see what i'm working with so he so he comes down and watches play uh third base coach lying in in the third base coach's box smoking a cigarette <laughs> it was a beautiful hot day had his shirt off you know and um, so it was, it was a, an eye-opener for him. And this is where, you know, we had a lot of talent in Tunbridge, but we didn't know the game. We didn't know what was appropriate. We didn't know how to play the game properly. Um, I can tell you six weeks of Bob Brandy in Tunbridge, you would. Um, and if you ever get Nick Carter on this, on this program, ask him about the development of the guys, um, you know, and what he was able to do for us as a team. It was incredible. And, and Bob and his brother, Tom, who's a, who's, who lives in the area too, became... Part of part of my family when I was in the states, you know, um, we would I would see them often. Sometimes I'd take the train up to San Francisco and to go and see them. I'd watch a Giants game and then go and stay at Tom's house, you know. And I'd see Bob would take me to a um, take me to an A's game, and and so they they were also local. So that that was part of my decision about Menlo too. Was I, I just I, I knew the area. I felt an affinity to the San Francisco Bay
2: Area, and yeah, I wanted to stay. So, um, Your reference. And yeah. talking about the MLB envoy program, I mean, that might be if, if, if I could change one thing about baseball in this country right now, it'd probably be to bring back the envoy program. I've lost count of the number of times people like yourself, Liam Carroll, Nick Carter. I mean, the influence that those envoys had in that short amount of time is, tr- is tremendous. And yeah. credit to those coaches to come over to a, a country like England, which, you know, it's it's. It's not a third world country, but you're sleeping on on a kid's bunk in Tunbridge in a small closet room to come out and coach baseball on a field that you know it's basically bases and, and some fence posts purely out of the love of the game is is fantastic. Um, and I, I really do hope that we can find a way to bring a program like that back. Yeah, I think well,
1: it was. I mean, a lot of a lot of the coaches are mostly younger. Um, I think some of them were just out of college and they wanted you know a way to spend some time in Europe and. Coach baseball as well. It was, it was, but um, yeah, Bob was, Bob was pretty special. He was a seriously experienced, talented coach. We were lucky to have him.
0: So, What was yeah. it that he sort of brought to the, to the coaching uh, game then? Like, cause like what difference did you notice? Was, was it the intensity or, or the knowledge or was it a combination of a lot of things compared to what you're used to? How did it make that much of a difference?
1: It started with just um, how you behaved on a baseball field. You know, like just knowing what was appropriate, knowing, um, you know, um, sort of, well, first of all, being being organised, getting to the field and actually going through a stretching programme before playing and actually having organised windows of time to do certain things before we start playing. Um, second was, like, focusing uh, when we're actually on the bench, you know, not just, I'm not participating in the game right now, so I'm not really going to, Yeah chat with my mate it was being being there hundred percent of the time and being sort of a part of the game even if you weren't actively playing it at that moment um, feeling like a team you know instead of just a bunch of guys that met up and you know swung a bat and fielded and, and whatever actually and, and and knowledge of the game actually understanding game uh, the game so yeah there was a lot of different elements I think if you if you do anything and you haven't had um, that level of coaching before it does make a, a huge impact on
2: you um, yeah absolutely yeah. um alex obviously you know someone like you i think and certainly i feel this way just looking at your career and the things you've achieved like it, it, sometimes it just feels that baseball just comes easy and, and things have been fantastic but obviously it hasn't always been that way and i think back to the um, you know the injury that you you suffered right before your senior year at menlo and i just wonder could you maybe talk about yeah you know, don't have to go into too much detail but a little bit about the injury and then how you dealt with that adversity how you came back i mean i obviously i have a, a very distinct memory of what i saw in that final In i think it would have been the summer of 2001 uh yeah it would have been 2001 right yeah but yeah it was yeah you, i might yeah, well, i might jump <laughs> in at the end us so
1: I was going into my, um, it was just the Christmas before my senior year at Menlo. So I was, I was a couple of months moving back to the UK at that point. And there was a GB training session down in Southern California that was for um, mostly for people that were US based. So I spoke to my college coach, Blair Nagel. I said, look, I want to go down there. Uh, My mate lent me his car and I drove down, uh, I drove the six and a half hours down to LA. Um, we played a couple of games. Uh, we were playing Cypress Community College at the time, who are one of the. I, I don't know these days, but at the time they're one of the top junior colleges in California. Um, you yeah, know, big leaguers had, had had big leaguers go there, but pretty good school. And during in and out, I uh, I jumped to catch a ball and landed, and hyperextended my knee and tore my ACL. So. Funny thing about that was before I left, my coach, my college coach, said, "Yeah, you can go play, just don't get hurt, you know, <laughs> just don't get injured." So, of course, so I called him. That was that was another hard conversation. I rang him from my hotel to tell him what happened, and he was nothing but kind um, and supportive to me. Um, and uh, but then <laughs> he always had a pretty dry sense of humor. I remember seeing him on uh, on campus the next time I was on crutches, and I'd come out of uh, out of my dorm, and here he was across the quad. And we sort of locked eyes, and he just bowed his head and shook his head, and just walked off in another direction. <laughs> it was just so typical. So I missed, I missed my senior year um, playing, which was disappointing because yeah, you know, that, that that was a tough. That was that was definitely a tough, um, tough few months. And uh, yeah,
2: I was definitely chomping at the bit to play again after I had the surgery. How so. did you deal with it? I mean, because I'm I've, well, we'll come back to. But essentially, I, the next hit. Next time you played was an at-bat in the final where you drove in the winning run. Yeah,
1: that was funny because... Uh, yeah. I mean, how did,
2: how, how did, we'll come back to the, 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 the winning run, but how did you get there? Like, how, how, mentally, how do you go from my knee is toast, I've lost out my, uh, my senior season, I haven't had an at-bat since, I guess, January or, or whenever it would have been, and then you pick up a bat, step in the box, and it's final time. How
1: did so, well, I, wasn't, I, I had the surgery in April. So, you know, this is, um, let's see, I, I moved back to the UK at the end of May, 2001. So in April, I had the surgery uh, and I was walking again by end of, end of May. But I was told, you know, six months. So that takes you to what, November? So, you know, and I'd heard stories, you know, Jerry, Jerry Rice, a professional American football player had come back from an ACL surgery after three months. And then broken his kneecap um, during during that game. I, you hear stories about that, and so you're thinking, I don't want to. I don't want to rush it. You know, I want to make sure that I allow that six months to happen. But it meant that I, I wasn't going to play in the Euros in two thousand one for Great Britain. And I played in ninety nine in Italy, and it was just one of the best tournaments ever. Um, but yeah, that was not going to happen. So, um, yeah, it was it was difficult, but I, I tried to. You know, my friend, Kevin August, who's my best friend in the world. He, uh, you know, one of my great friends. I'm, there's a handful of them, but, you know, Kevin's right. You know, he's, he's my best mate. And he had come over to play for the summer. And so he was still playing for Brighton. So I'd go down there on weekends and would and play baseball games. And I'd just be a cheerleader on the bench. Um, final time came along. And Martin Dutton, our centre fielder, Bless him! I don't know if he did this on purpose. Actually, I know he didn't do this on purpose, but it worked out for me because <laughs> he was playing center field, and I think he was—he got rung up. I, know, he, he, I think he was called out sliding in the second. It was not happy with the call, so he uh, he let the umpire know that he wasn't happy and got tossed from the game. <laughs> and I ran out into the field. I didn't even have my glove. I I, I was dressed in baseball uniform. I wasn't wearing cleats. I ran out onto the field and I said, and I grabbed his glove and I went out to center field and told Craig on my way that I'm playing center field. And that was that. So um, I was so desperate to play and it was the sixth inning. It was three innings left of the entire season. Um, But four and a half months in, you know, in fact, it'd been longer than that because I hadn't played, I hadn't played nearly a year and a half at that point. I was desperate to play. And um, yeah. So there, that's how I found myself in center field and in the, 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 set at the top of the seventh of the grand final
2: <laughs> and then I, yeah. i'm pretty sure if i remember correctly you come up to bat it's been an overcast day and yeah you know, i don't know how this type of stuff happens but the cloud we've got a runner at second base tied ball game clouds open a little bit of sunshine you hit a line drive to right field winning run scores and then the sun goes and it goes back dark and rainy uh, i'm 95 uh, sure that's exactly how it played out that's how your
1: dad tells the story you know the, the, <laughs> yeah yeah, I'm not sure. That, I'm not sure it was quite that dramatic, but uh, I do remember crapping myself going around first base um, because I wasn't wearing cleats and it was a wet day. It was cloudy and rainy. And so I'm going to hit this ball down right right field line and I, I want to get to second. So I'm kind of doing that thing where you're like, oh, I don't want to slide. You know, I don't want to fall flat on my butt or rip my other knee up or anything. So I was, I was pretty went gingerly around first base, but um, it was pretty special. That was my one at bat of baseball. For that entire year and yeah, we won
2: the title so yeah it was it, I'll never forget it
0: <laughs>
2: I mean speaking of special at-bats um what about you driving the winning run with good France in that uh the 2000 the the, the all special 2007 European Championship
1: oh um yeah I mean no I think that 2007 um season was was hard <laughs> and I've had uh, play, definitely a fair amount of adversity playing baseball over the years. And you talked about how tough it was with coming back from knee surgery. The hardest thing I've dealt with ever playing baseball, and I deal with it even today, is, um, you know, the anxiety of of, of playing a sport uh, and the pressure that we put on ourselves. Um, and that was always my my demon. You know, and it always held me back, I think, was, you know, you, you find me, on a on a, a field practicing um and i'm happy and stress-free and you know doing behind the back passes to you know to the flips to the second baseman and turn double plays and just having a while of a time but you know there's a anxiety in, in playing games um that, that always i felt held me back um in 2007 um i decided that the level of great britain baseball was get got to the point that it was becoming difficult to compete in European championships. The level of European baseball was just going was skyrocketing. And, you know, it was hard for people working nine to five jobs to actually go from playing baseball domestically in Europe to going to a European championship and facing guys, you know, playing minor league baseball. So I had decided that 2007 was going to be my last year um, and I was going to go all out for it. I'd found through Ian Young, uh, former, you know, GB Player, I found a team in Germany, and I was. They were willing to fly me out to Germany on weekends. So I would go out there three or four times a month. I'd fly down on a Friday after work. I'd play double headers usually Saturdays and Sundays maybe, um, and fly back Sunday. Go to work Monday. And it was the idea was uh, the German league had pretty high quality of baseball at that point. It was mainly the pitching. I wanted to face good pitching on a weekly basis. You know, hard, eighty-five to ninety mile an hour pitching, which you were yeah I wasn't getting domestically. So I went, I did that. I went to great pains to do that. It was stressful year. Um, And then 2007 Euros came about. And this time it was in September to allow the minor leaguers to play. You know, it's gonna be tough. Um, I went out, we went out to Germany for a pre-camp and I still hadn't made the team. No one had made the team officially yet. And um, after the, the final day, I was called into uh, Stefan Rapaglia's hotel room. Stefan, another just phenomenal coach and a great man um, that I've been lucky enough to play for in my life. And he broke the news to me that I, I didn't make the team, um, which was pretty devastating, you know. The, and I, he, his reasons were valid. They were, they were trying to get into the um, Olympic qualifying round and trying to get funding. And I understood the reasons. But he said, because of my attitude and um, what I meant to the team that I was going to come along as like a 25th man. Uh, I think the roster was 24. I was going to be 25th guy. Um, he said, look, if you were 24 on the roster, you probably weren't going to play anyway. So 25 is, you know, it's not much different, but it just, it meant that I wasn't on the team. So I umdenard for a, a night, a lot of guys, Bradley Marcelino, um, Alex Smith, a lot of guys told me to come. I said they needed me to be there. So um so I said to him, yeah, I'll come along. I was rooming um, with Alan Bean, strength and conditioning coach. It was me and him, you know. So, and um, I came along to Barcelona. Um, and uh, we had an injury in practice before the first game. And that was that. I was on the team. Um, I was the 24th man. And uh, I got a game. I, I got a pinch-hitting appearance in our second game against France. Drove in that run. Um, we won the game and that was it i played three out of the last four games i had a few hits so um yeah i was part of the team and i played you know i I was i started in right field i think probably four games after that in that tournament so yeah it was it it was a roller coaster of emotions you know going not making the team and then finding out i was back in and then actually getting the play and contributing you know it was just out of nowhere and and that was going to be it for me but then of course we we had the it was inconvenient that we made it to the final and qualified for the world cup in 2009 i thought well there's no way i'm not being part of that team you know i'm going to go do the same thing i'm, I'm going to go all out and in 2009 i um i actually went to live in france i spoke to my my company i asked if i could work remotely they said yeah four days a week they cut my hours and i went to live in france for six months and and that that was better because I was there and I was practicing regularly and I was facing decent competition and that that year I made the team. <laughs> 2009, <laughs> I didn't have to. Uh, I wasn't the 25th man. I was uh, I was on the, on the roster. So yeah, it was uh, And that was it. I I, I retired after that. I hung them up. Satisfied. Um, probably having played the most competitive baseball in my life in that tournament. Um, yeah. Never seen anything like it. I mean, you, you were
2: there. Well, <laughs> it, <laughs> it, it was like. It was a special, special couple weeks. I mean, there were so many ups and downs and so many amazing, amazing hearts. You know, I still see the the game against Puerto Rico when we were up and, and then we had the throwing error and it didn't quite work out for us. But I also come back to the Cuba game where, and, and Matt, for context and for the listeners, this is a, a Cuban team where, where was it? September. So all week, what would that have been? July August, Araldus Chapman had jumped the fence and defected. In center field, Yoan Cespedes. First base was uh, Gurriel. Um, Jose Abreu was on the bench. He yeah. didn't even get in that starting team.
1: They had uh, Leonis Martin was their center fielder. Um, Cespedes, I believe, hit a two-run home run in that game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was a good team. And was- Puerto Rico had seven seven former major leaguers on that team. Yeah. Um, you know, this was this was the best baseball any of us had ever played. Uh, most of us,
2: anyway. I know a couple yeah. of guys, but um, it was it was special. Yeah, it really was. I, I tell you, just to go back to that story of adversity, Matt. We need to save that audio because if we come all the way back to Alex's point about looking up to to heroes, and I know Alex doesn't like it when I refer to him as a hero, but he was for me as a as a young player, and I still think he is. I mean, he's in our hall of fame. That story of dealing with adversity and taking the chance it's given to you is something that, you know, we normally talk about, Oh, well, here is a big leaguer that you know we all talk about. And if you Google him, you can find a, a video, we've got someone, you know, born and bred from Tunbridge who's been on that journey. And, and when given an opportunity came off the bench and justified his place on that team, got a hit that scored the winning run. That, I mean, that, that victory against France was pivotal in our, ability to, to climb the table and, and eventually finish with a silver medal at that tournament. So, Matt, let's take that audio out out from here and let's save it because I think more kids need to hear even if nothing else, just that excerpt. I hope that's okay, Alex, if I continue to do yeah. this hero image of you. Oh, that's, that's fine, mate. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's uh, all awesome. okay. No, thanks, mate. I, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah it, it's not always easy. You know, there's, there's um, I think the way society is now it's it's actually uh more and more um athletes are you know i, I it's easy to it's actually express to the world that it isn't easy you know <laughs> it isn't easy yeah. and they struggle um sometimes so i think it's uh, it's good to know that, that everyone goes through that
2: and um yeah awesome um what advice i'm just thinking again you're you know we mentioned that you played three positions i think you're one of the standout players of of the last 20 years that this country has produced and even played in the nbl obviously you benefited from playing high school and college in the states but is there anything from that time before you left for the states that you know if we've got a 10 to 16 year old kid who's in the uk how can you know are were there any things that you did to maximize your, your practice time to figure out ways to get things done in tunbridge um when we don't have the facilities that our
1: counterpart have. Um, I'm gonna hopefully mum, there won't be any repercussions. But I'm gonna dob my mum in here because um, <laughs> I'm, I mean I couldn't have done any of this without my mum. She was absolutely just gave up her life for ten years to just drive me places and get me. And and then the ten years after that, I believe it was your family yeah. <laughs> that got me places. <laughs> we <can't> I never <laughs> owned a car in the UK. It was it was taxi Linton constantly, like just drive me to games. And I mean I you know, I couldn't have done anything without any of those guys. But but um my mum went up to we we, we live right by the a21 bypass and she she hiked up the hill and grabbed a traffic cone off out of out of the uh the roadworks there so I'm I'm really hoping she's not going to get in trouble for this but I had a a traffic cone batting tee in my back garden I managed to rig together a a, like it was a, a net for golf swings and I rigged that together and I would hit off a tee you know and there was a family that had a uh, there was a garage right by the green down the end of our road and and there was a, a wall and tennis ball glove and a and a brick wall uh, yeah I and mean, i ideally it would have been a baseball but it's amazing what you can do with a brick wall to, to incre- increase your base your your baseball skills um, your hand eye coordination um, the quickness of hand um, like i i learned that through literally throwing a tennis ball against the wall in in a park so um baseball is a game of repetition and i've already said that you need to play lots of baseball games and that isn't always going to be possible playing baseball in britain hopefully one day it will but if you don't have that then you need to work on your skills and you can always work on your skills you know if you have if you have a little bit of space now if you don't have a garden you can still be swinging a baseball bat you can um don't necessarily have to hit off a tee um but those drills, just doing them every day, um, getting that time in, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's absolutely pivotal. And if you can get to a field and grab someone to hit your fly ball, get your ground balls and pitch to you, do soft
2: toss, then all the better. But, um, Love yeah. it. man. I love it. I think like, sometimes, especially in the world of athletes, we spend so much time looking at the individual what they've accomplished and you forget to look at the the support network around them and if, you know, just uh, put you right in the middle if you look at you know the the framework of support that your mum provided just as an overall like here it is then you've got you know uh, bob brantley and other coaches visiting the country interaction with gb coaches to give you a little bit here or there the carter brothers pushing you on and there's kind of there's quite an interesting network where you say maybe it's not the perfect system for talent development but when you take all these things and add them together you give someone a pretty good chance to uh to you know to, to get good at something
1: absolutely yeah absolutely i mean it, it's very hard to do it all by yourself i mean it is you see people do it but having um having support from i mean yeah my mum put up with a lot of stuff you know how I, you know how i learned to do a relay I learned to do a relay by standing in my living room, throwing a ball off that wall, it coming back, catching it and throwing it off that wall, and then it coming back and just, just repeating, throwing a tennis ball off the living room wall constantly. Um, banging, like noises banging through the house and my, um, yeah, my poor mother and my brother putting up with it. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's very difficult to do. Uh, I owe them a lot. You know? I've had a lot of great experiences playing baseball. Over the years, and uh, you know, a lot of the great things that have happened to me in my life have been because of baseball. Um, thanks to people that have helped me along the way. So. That's awesome. Thank you, man. There's
0: one thing that I really like. There is is the fact that you've 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 got no excuses for not doing something. And it's one thing I've noticed about being part of the Smart Performance Academy, both this time and when I was on a training program like early on last year, um, that there's always something you can do regardless where you don't think you've got the equipment, like with the the program that Will and Alan have set up, I've noticed that if I don't have like a kettlebell, there's instructions for doing something else there. I think it's an important lesson for people to learn, especially within like this lockdown at the moment where gyms aren't open and people don't have access to the right equipment, that you can just fill up a rucksack full of books or something heavy and do something. There's there's no excuses for not be doing something baseball related uh, indoors, in your back garden, if if it's snowing, know, like Will with the, the sock and the ball, so it take round your arm, there are ways and means to do it. And I think it comes down to, if you want it, you, you're you going to go out there and get it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think one of the tough toughest things, and something I've, I've seen articulated very recently, but um, I think a lot of us struggle, the world over struggle with motivate motivation. But I think that part of the problem is we, we're sitting on a sofa wanting to get better at something and waiting for that motivation to hit. But the motivation... Only comes when you've already started doing it. The the action always comes first. So getting up and doing it is, and then seeing those sort of micro goals being achieved, that's where the motivation comes from. Is you got to start the action's got to come first. You know, you're never going to get motivated just sitting on a sofa. You know, it's always going to be very easy for you to go. Oh, I, I don't know how to do it. I'm never going to know how to do it. It's just so hard. It's, there's so much to it. Well, yeah, okay. Start small, and, and then once you've crossed that barrier, but you got to, the action's got to come first. So yeah, that's, that's something I've you know I, I've struggled with recently, and and it's it's actually helped me. It's helped me with a few other things, not baseball related, work related, but just getting up and getting started.
2: So there's a, a chap I listen to sometimes. Joko Willink is a, a great podcast listener for anyone who, who is out there. After you've listened to Matt, of course, Matt first, British Pacific, then okay. listen to Joko. Okay. <laughs> but he talks about um, you know motivation being fleeting, and P- straight to your point, Alex, that motivation is um, you know, we all want it, we all have it, but it's fleeting. And sometimes you have it, sometimes you don't. The thing that's consistent is discipline. You know your dis- dis- discipline to get up and take that action. Your discipline to to as matt's example like it's snowy it's rainy outside but i've still got a ball and a sock and some tape so i can still get my throwing in it's just it's discipline that you can be consistent with and then the motivation to alex's point comes from action yeah i love it mm. very true Matt. very true awesome alex who um who stands out to you as some of the the better players that you've played W- um, with or against in the MBL, and you know, you, you know, we can connect, take this one off the list. I know that I'm, you know, I know where I am on the list. It's probably like, you know, one or two. So you can remove me from that point. It's cool. Um, but who?
1: Yeah, outside of you, outside, outside of-, of you, outside <laughs> of you. Um, I would say, look, I'm not going to include guys <laughs> I played with because um, you know I've got a. There's too many good players there. Um, <laughs> Domestically, Simon Pohl is is the guy. You know, he's the guy you just didn't didn't ever want to face. He, I, I noticed he asked that question because he knew what the answer was. That's why. I, heard. I was just
0: going <laughs> to say, like, there's a listener question from Simon Pohl who said, "Who was the pitcher you hated facing the most?"
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, knew, yeah I, I know he asked that question because it's him. Um, I'd say, uh, yeah, domestically, uh, yeah, I, I never liked to play against. Him. I mean, he was just an absolutely amazing baseball player. Uh, and you just you can see it in the stats, but you can see it with the eye too. I mean, the guy just piled up the stats. Um, I did get him a couple of times, but um, very, very uh, uh, well, less often, and he was able to get me out. So um, obviously, he was a great player. Um, Alan Bloomfield, one of my first heroes in British baseball, uh, played against him, played with him for Great Britain. Have some great stories. Uh, which aren't probably appropriate for this podcast. <laughs> I have a great one about 1999. I did him um and I ah about telling it, but I better not. Um, he uh, just great character, um, full of joy and, uh, and an amazing baseball player. Amazing baseball player. Really uh, just quickest hands you've ever seen. I mean, if that guy was born in the States, uh, he's the kind of guy that you could see being, you know, making money
2: playing baseball for sure. Um, so, yeah. One that sticks out in my mind, and it's just because I think he only played one, maybe two seasons in that peak of the of the NBL, um, is Dean Stoker, and he's obviously playing in the ABL. Nasty, I
1: mean,
2: Yeah, wow. Dean Stoker
1: was nasty. I didn't because he didn't play as long, uh, but yeah, he was absolutely nasty. And um, the the Windsor team in 2004 was ridiculous. They had uh, Dennis Grubb, who I didn't include. He hit like nine home runs that year with wood bat when we were all struggling. To learn how to make contact. Uh, but he was, you know, he was in double A with the Yankees and Brett Willenberg, who played shortstop in the first world baseball classic for South Africa. Um, he was he was in the minors and was his season was done and decided to come play play in uh, in British baseball for, for a month. You know, I mean there was some incredible, incredible talent at that time. Stoker was nasty, absolutely yeah. nasty. <laughs> I remember that, God, yeah. Um, I think like one of the nice things about playing baseball in Britain which you don't haven't ever been able to achieve anywhere else was the rivalries you know and, and having a rival last for 10 12 years playing against the same guys uh, playing against the guys from Bracknell and seeing them every year you know and actually having been able to compete with them every year and facing knowing you're going to face simon pole's warriors and you know it was uh yeah it, that's a nice thing like you don't I haven't you don't get that in the states because you in, in high school, or college baseball because your time there you might only play varsity baseball for two years or in my case one year. Um, so yeah, it was uh, yeah that's one of the nice things and thing I miss,
2: I miss big time. <laughs> so awesome,
0: mm-hmm.
2: Matt. Did were there any other listener questions? Um, yeah. other than Simon Polls kind of uh, <laughs> wanted to get a shout out for himself.
0: Yeah, he only has to ask and I'll do it. <laughs> but yeah. Um, <laughs> Coach uh, Marcelino has written in saying, um, question for Hudis: why are you able to see the world when you are sleeping?
1: Uh, uh, yeah, um, that's a, it's just one of my many skills, mate. Just one of my many skills and tell him I don't trust him. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I just got to keep an eye on him too <laughs> yeah. no, another
0: sleep related question comes from uh, craig savage who we talked about before saying i want to know why uh, the freak sleeps with his eyes open So
1: it's the same yeah it's the same question that's it's they always seem to like to bring that up i do sleep my eyes open my daughter does as well my uh, yeah. my youngest she, she'll sleep and they're not wide open i'm i'm not literally sleeping like this they're they're <laughs> slightly partially <laughs> open i don't know I
0: got
1: big eyeballs.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's good for <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah, and um, that—that's literally all that I—I I have. Um, thank you both for, for your time today. It's been amazing. I mean, I, lo- I love just taking a back seat and listening to and uh, to share, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to get Will on there because of the the knowledge that you both have uh, and playing together. Because without Will being here, it's probably me just saying. So, Alex, what's your favourite tree? And yeah, this is well, this is, I've got a list here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll Say that for British baseball, uh, tree cast, uh, later on. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I like to leave the, the last word open to the guest. So, Alex, have, have you got anything that you'd like to, to to leave us with, or have you got any shout outs you'd like to give or parting advice?
1: Oh, I mean, there's a there's, I miss playing baseball in Britain. I mean, I love, I'm obviously here now and there's. I love being in Australia, but I, I do miss British baseball. Um, uh, the relationships I built, um, you know, um, there's been there's so many people that have, um, were part of my life when I was playing baseball over there that I, that I miss. So um, I do. Oh, hello. Oh, hi, sorry. <laughs> I my, yeah, I mean, so I've lost my train of thought now.
0: Uh, shout outs or any thanks you'd like to give or any parting advice yeah
1: yeah I mean there's gosh I want a, a couple of shout outs one is um, Josh Chetwind who got me playing baseball again after I wasn't sure I wanted to um, I had you know uh, it was I was putting a lot of stress and pressure on myself playing baseball and he got me playing again and I'm glad he did because that was 21 years ago and I'm still playing so um, so yeah I I just yeah i mean uh, i'm glad he did i'm glad he did because i like i said the experiences i've had playing baseball some of the greatest uh, have given me some fantastic memories so
0: that's awesome thank you very much uh will again thank you very much for your time as always uh, you've been uh, a valuable addition to to the show with with your listeners questions are coming or I know you, you're co-hosting. You, is that such a good job? Please don't get yourself a podcast because I'll be out of a job very quick. Right, so just I have far too fun so.
2: with yours, my man. I
1: have far that, too was, much fun. that was brilliant, and Thanks for the surprise. Thanks for organising this, Matt and uh, Will. Love to the family, man. Likewise. Please give my Hopefully best. we see you soon. Yeah. <laughs> Take care, thanks guys. Thanks so much, Thank you. Thank you so much. Always. No
0: worries. Thank Cheers. you very much. Yeah, yeah.